there's anything I can tell you, it's that the best place to hide is in your mind. Hey guys, in this week's episode of Correspondence, I had the opportunity to talk with an immensely talented writer whose work you should be familiar with if you've listened to our Flash Fiction specials. Brianna Fenty shared her experience writing a novel, getting an agent, and navigating the publishing world. Tyler's so much better at the the casual episode start than me, and I'm just like, what am I supposed to say? Oh, I feel your pain. <laughs> I'm like, uh, suddenly forget how to pronounce everyone's name or whatever. And even with yours, I'm like, it's Brianna, Brianna, Brianna. <laughs> <laughs> that and just words in general. How do they work? How do they work? Yeah. I mean, you should know how words work, right? Because you are now One an would think. author. <laughs> One would think, but not spoken words. Ah, uh, just written words. That makes yeah. sense. There's so yeah. many words that like as a reader... Um, you know, cause I was a kid reading books that were a few grade levels ahead and mm-hmm. I would see all of these big words in print and totally butcher them the first time oh, I yeah. said them out loud, like nonchalant. I pronounced nonchalant for the longest time. <laughs> but that's, that's the thing that sucks about being a reader is cause you know, these big words and you know what they mean. But when you go and say them aloud incorrectly, you sound like a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> if you say them to like fellow readers or like linguists yes mm-hmm. I'd say like half the time though the person you're saying them to doesn't know the word either so that is say true, it with confidence it's not the case with my mom she loves correcting me oh is she <laughs> like a a big reader or is she a yeah. writer too she's not a writer she's an avid reader that's I guess where I get it from so <laughs> she loves correcting me Thanks, mom. What does your mom do other than correct you? She is a nurse. She's oh, done that's awesome. pretty much everything you can imagine as a nurse. She started off in oncology. She went on to hospice. Now she, she's a nurse case, uh, an RN case manager for an insurance company. So she's been all around the block. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Was she like the one who introduced you to reading then? Oh, yeah. All those uh, library trips with the the gigantic stacks of books that I could barely see over, you know, that was all her. (laughs) Are you still a library person or are you one of those like book buying fiends? Um, Both, but I, full disclosure, I haven't been to a library in so long and I'm very upset with myself about that, but I think it's because I move so much, you know, I can't really... There's no sense in buying a library card if I'm only going to be in a place for like three months. Oh, you don't buy a library card anymore, do you? No, right? just sign up for, they're just, free. Yeah. <laughs> See, you can, tell, you can tell I haven't been to a library in a while, but I love well, like the, the small bookshops and everything. So. Yeah. I mean, the thing with libraries is they've been closed basically a year and a half too. I went in a library, mm-hmm. like inside a library for the first time last week in a year. Oh, and it was just magical. I was like, oh my God, there's so many books to look at and they're free. <laughs> Except for the ones on my shelves, finally. <laughs> right. Do you have like a, a cool like bookshelf set up? Uh, over here now I do. I'm very excited about it. I moved into this apartment and it has a built-in bookshelf and oh I've gosh. never seen that before well I mean I've seen it before but I've never had that before <laughs> so I've been like you know arranging by genre or like trying to arrange by genre but all the books are different and very 
awkward sizes so I'm doing my best <laughs> I know I want a better sorting system because I don't know um like how well you can see yeah I can back see behind me mm -hmm. but like I basically have a size and color yeah I see like on. the the dark blues toward the top yeah because I don't know I I want it to look nice but I find that if I do it based on genre it's like you said they're all different sizes and they don't like yeah. stack nicely exactly I only have one like actual genre shelf and that's the occult shelf and that's where I keep my little angel statue that way the demons don't get me <laughs> so you have all the occult stuff and then like one angel for protection <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One like cheap made in China plastic angel. Where does that um occult fascination come from? Oh my goodness. Probably also from my mom. Well, not not the occult, but uh horror in general. Um, my mom and my sister, we sort of I mean, my sister and I we grew up on that stuff because my mom loved it. So we she was always renting horror movies, you know, from blockbuster or whatever our local video rental place and um, sometimes I'd be allowed to watch them sometimes I wouldn't be I remember the first sort of horror movie I was allowed to watch fully was Deep Blue Sea the one with the the um the sharks and LL Cool J oh my gosh <laughs> I have not seen that but it sounds like a B horror movie it, the thing is it's it tries to be a B horror movie, but it's actually like a good movie. Oh, so Samuel like, Jackson's in it. Like, yeah, it's like a it's a blockbuster movie in the flavor of a B movie, and it's absolutely fantastic. Oh, maybe I'll have to watch it then. What year yeah. did it come out? Oh God, I, I don't know. Maybe two thousand, two thousand one. Don't quote me on that, but you know, with the bad CGI and everything, it was fantastic. It, it was lovely. <laughs> the experience that's what uh started the whole fear of the shark in the pool thing for me which seems weird because don't you spend like all your time protecting <laughs> sharks now or something yeah yeah I uh I have a love-hate relationship with sharks not not hate love um fearful respect for sharks <laughs> I suppose like you know you see those marine ecologists and biologists uh, who you know they swim next to great whites filming them and everything and they're just totally chill and fine I'm like that looks so cool but I would never be able to do that I'm sorry <laughs> like, I think that's so funny oh. like you you um kind of have this dueling persona at least online of like you're like kind of scary and tough but like also afraid of sharks oh I'm afraid of everything that's the thing that's the thing about being a horror person I think personally well I guess it doesn't apply to everyone but because I can imagine all these horrific things also means I can imagine them in real life so I'm literally the biggest pussy you can imagine like every little sound scares the crap out of me me too. Like it's it's daytime right now when we're recording this, and like I I took a shower earlier because I was still like mm. in my pajamas basically because work from home for Same. a year and a half does that to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was like taking a shower, getting ready, um, and I heard like just some random noise that now I think was maybe construction across the street, and Naturally. I like freaked out. It's broad daylight. I'm like walking through every room of the apartment, making sure nobody's <laughs> in here. Dude, I sleep next to a Louisville slugger bat. Like I have, I have little like knives in every corner of the apartment. 
Sometimes I block the door with chairs. I'm the most paranoid person in the world because you you know these things. You come up with these things, so then you think they're going to happen to you in real life, or they might. So you're like, you know, you got to be prepared. So I'm never. I'm usually not afraid of people. Like you know, I don't have fears of like a serial killer coming and getting me. I'm always afraid of ghosts or monsters or something, even though I don't believe in them, which is like totally oh. irrational, but they're so much scarier to me because I'm like, I don't know how to fight a demon. <laughs> like I've watched all of Supernatural, but I don't believe that's going to help. Are you afraid <laughs> that you're going to like wake up in the middle of the night and a human's going to be there or a demon? Both. Okay. <laughs> so... Actually, one of my worst fears is a home invasion. So really, actually, I do believe in ghosts and demons and all that hoopla. But personally, for me, I think the the threat of a person in the home is a lot more tangible than like maybe seeing a ghost in the corner of the room because maybe they're not going to do anything. Maybe they're just going to stand there and creep you out. But a person in your house is going to try to do bad things to you. So that's so much more logical. And like, I totally agree with everything you just said, but I'm still (laughs) like, you know what? I can take the home invader. I don't know if I can take (laughs) it. I think I think I could take them, but also it's like, I'm so scared of everything that I think if I see something like that, whether it's a human or a ghost or something in my room, I'm just going to have a heart attack and tap out right there. They don't even have to do anything to me. (laughs) (laughs) Good strategy. (laughs) no that might be me too though because like I don't know so much anymore since I don't live alone now but like previously if I heard a noise in the middle of the night and it was like dark I wouldn't move I would just like stay in my bed with the covers pulled up to my chin like holding a classic strat classic strat like if I can't see it it can't see me (laughs) exactly um so yeah so we kind of mentioned in passing the shark thing but like Mm. I want to know what your job is exactly because I think when you submitted your story to our Halloween special the first time around um black Mm. dolphins which I love by the way and wasn't um, about dolphins at all it wasn't which was (laughs) because like I remember loving it and then I went back and reread it um recently just to like kind of refresh my memory on that one and I'm like wait I thought there were dolphins in this for some reason (laughs) but no but like after that um I think Tyler was talking about like where he met you or whatever in the writers group and Mm -hmm. he said something about your job like oh she's like a marine biologist or something (laughs) and I'm like what that's legit but like what is it exactly that you do so long story short I wasn't always a marine I guess the all right Short story. I started off in maritime commerce. That's like, you know, ships, you know, the big ships with the containers, trading, yada, yada. And then I kind of, I wanted to jump the fence, you know, to the, to the right side, I guess. Like I was tired of being on like the bad side. I want to go to the good environmental side and do more sciencey stuff. So I went over to University of Aberdeen in Scotland and got my, um, my master's in applied marine and fisheries ecology which is such a mouthful and nobody knows what it means even I sometimes don't know what it means um, essentially I'm a marine biologist marine ecologist Um, but what I do right now I I work for Oceana and they're a a nonprofit NGO 
that focuses entirely on protecting the oceans through um, government policy, usually federal policy. So I work in policy <laughs> in DC, though I'm not, you know, not in DC right now. But uh, I support um, North Atlantic right whale protection, uh, shark fin bans, and uh, responsible fishing through federal policy. That's if so that makes sense. <laughs> Yes, it's like a marine biologist, but like the policy side. Yeah, exactly. Um, was that something that you were always interested in or like what was kind of your childhood dream career? So I remember I have this extremely specific memory of being in the podiat not the podiatrist, Jesus, the, the pediatrician's <laughs> office when I was a kid. <laughs> Yeah, I had serious foot problems. No. Um, when I was a kid, I was in the doctor's office with my mom, finished up the appointment, got off, you know, that bed with the scratchy paper. And my mom was like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up, Brianna? And I was like, I want to be a tiger. And my dreams were crushed when I found out I couldn't turn into an animal. So I was always obsessed with animals. You know, I was always watching Animal Planet. I'd watch Lion King on repeat. You know, one time I actually drew the gigantic circle of life on the wall and got in big trouble for it. But um, I don't think there was really an inciting incident for me that was like, oh, I want to be a marine ecologist. It was just like, you know, I grew up on an island. I grew up on Long Island, New York. And we grew up on this, I grew up on the South Shore. So we were like maybe a 10 minute drive from the beach. And, you know, I guess that was just my, my exposure to marine life and my love of, you know, all things marine and the beach and water in general and all the, all the scary stuff under it. <laughs> What's the marine, uh, like ecosystem in New York? Cause I've only ever been to like actual New York city, not the yeah. ocean part. Oh boy. Oh boy. So a lot of people don't realize how many sharks are, there are. <laughs> I think that's true for pretty much the entire coast of the United States, but especially on the Atlantic coast. Um, like, you know, like whenever people think of great white sharks, they think of like California or Washington or something like that. But their range I did goes not all think of way. Washington for the record. <laughs> Mostly California then, you know, <laughs> for the surfers. They need food. Um, that's that's not that's a myth. <laughs> I don't mean to perpetuate that. <laughs> but um, they have a range that goes all the way up from Florida to Maine. So oh, lights in New York. But um, it's such a vast and diverse uh, ecosystem that I couldn't even begin to get into. But there are plenty of sharks, plenty of fish, plenty of whales, including the North Atlantic right whale, which I'm currently uh, working on protecting. It's the, um, the most critically endangered large whale in the world. I've never heard um, of it. So yeah, yeah I, I haven't heard of it either. <laughs> I didn't hear of it either until I started working for Oceana, but there are only about 360 individuals left. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And do they have like a very small range then up there? So they range from Florida all the way up the East Coast into Canada, the Gulf of St. Lawrence, like around okay. Nova Scotia and Quebec, that sort of area, I guess. Uh, I don't know Canada, man. But, <laughs> but uh, so they have a pretty long range, but that's, that's, that's it. 
you know, they they swim close to shore. They they breed down in Florida. They have, that's their calving grounds, and then they go up and they migrate to the Gulf of St. Lawrence for food, and they, you know, go up all the way, all up the coast. That's crazy. Yeah, and uh, the their biggest threats are being hit by um, being hit by ships and entangling in fishing gear. Oh, is pretty awful. But you know. We won't get into that too much because it's pretty depressing. Oh, I know. I I can't imagine really. Um, I mean, like the work you do, do sounds really cool and kind of fun, but also like you're doing it because these amazing species face horrible threats. So it's kind of yeah. sad. It's a little demoralizing sometimes, but then you get these wins, you know, and like a bill passes through the House or the Senate that you've been fighting for for months or in the case of the shark campaign, years. They've been doing this for years and we're finally starting to get wins in the government. So it makes is, it worth it. Is the finning thing like a, a US problem? Because for some reason I assumed that was already legal here. No, it, it's, it's a global problem, but it also varies by state. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so you can have a fin ban in New Jersey and then have no fin ban in, oh God, what state doesn't have a fin ban? I don't know, another coastal state. I don't want to disparage a state that might have a fin ban just because I don't remember. <laughs> but Respectable. Can be legal in one state and illegal in another essentially. But it happens all over the world and it's, it's one of the cruelest, I think, activities against an animal that there is really, you know, because they take the fin off and they just throw them back in. It, it just seems like so pointless. I mean, obviously yeah. I've never eaten shark fin anything. Apparently so. it tastes like nothing. It's like slimy cartilage. What the hell? And you can get like fake shark fin in the, su- in the supermarket and stuff that supposedly tastes like the real thing because it tastes like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I know, not that I know. This is just what I've heard. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It's like, it doesn't seem like it could taste that good. And at the horrific cost, like, why would you even want to? Mm -hmm. Exactly. (sighs) Well, how long have you been working at Oceana? Uh, I've been there since February of last year. So I had a whopping two months in the office in DC. Oh, geez. In their wonderful, beautiful office with my two monitors and motorized standing desk. Oh. Going to my tiny little like 12-inch work laptop. Oh, yeah. February. And um, I think my, uh, my fellowship ends in November. Oh, okay. So it's like a limited time sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's funded by grants. So we're entirely uh, um, subject to the whim of how much money the grant gives us. Okay. Um, do, do you like reapply or something then in November if there's another <coughs> grant or like what's next for you? Um, so I'm looking at other jobs and other fellowships. Um, typically within DC because, you know, I have experience in policy now, so it makes sense to pursue that route because, you know, everything's about 
how many years of experience you have. Nobody cares about the piece of paper you got that you spent like a bajillion dollars on and sweat and sweated and bled over for however many years. Who cares as long as you have some experience. So, um, um, you know, I'm looking for stuff in the, in the marine conservation field or the, um, the climate field, energy policy, that sort of thing. Do you um, like have to be, do you have to go back to DC then anytime <laughs> soon? Eventually, I think um, every everything is pretty much still remote from what I've seen. Um, like right now, Oceana is doing like a, I think a lot of places are doing like a voluntary come back to office policy before they start doing mandatory. And I don't think mandatory is going to happen for a while. I know some places are like, you know, get your ass back into the office. But for a lot of places, especially in DC, they're a lot more lax. That's pretty nice, especially considering like DC is a notoriously expensive place to live. I'm sure like it's nice for especially some of the like younger people, like college interns and all of that. Like, I don't know how they afford to go to DC. They have have rich daddies. (laughs) I guess. Yeah, that's how they afford it. I don't know how I would have afforded it. (laughs) Rich daddies and huge loans that they're going to regret for the next 25 years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm, I'm very lucky that I didn't have to take any student loans or anything. That's just like, I can't even imagine having that kind of debt weighing you down. Exactly. It's a huge weight off your shoulders. And so you went to Scotland for a year of school, which Scotland's one of my favorite places. Me too. It's amazing. I love it so much. Why did you choose that program specifically? (laughs) That program um, you know, there's a lot of marine science programs in Scotland naturally because it's, you know, it's a, it's a maritime country. It's a freaking island, you know. Um, but that program specifically at the University of Aberdeen, one, it's considered one of the ancient colleges. I think it was founded in like 14 something something. And it legit looks like Hogwarts. First time I went there, I was walking down these uneven cobblestone streets looking at all the ivy covered turrets and all the it was just absolutely amazing but um aside from that the program itself it had it offered certain courses that no other university offered like um stock assessment fisheries stock assessment which I will not get into because it is one of the blandest subjects in the world it's just really good (laughs) to have under your belt oh that's my alarm um, so yeah, they had like a lot of courses that you'd normally have to pay for like specific training rather than go to college for. So. Oh, okay. Um, I, anecdotally, like, do you happen to be a Neil Gaiman fan? I love his style of writing and I love how he operates on social media. However, I have never read a book by him. Really? Like a complete book. That's surprising to me just because like Neil Gaiman is specifically the reason I went to Scotland in the first place. Yeah, because he uh, he has a house in the Isle of Skye. Um, Of course he does. (laughs) And in one of his um, short story collections, he had a story and I'm spacing the name on it that was like either set there or like based very heavily. And just the descriptions and the scenery were so Mm -hmm. enchanting that I was like, I have to go to this amazing place. Um, And it did not disappoint. But yeah, like when I was there, the hostel, um, like manager where I was (laughs) staying, like 
his uh, aunt was like Neil Gaiman's gardener or something like that. Stop. (laughs) That's so cool. So yeah. So I mean, Scotland is just absolutely beautiful. Um, And then Iceland is the other country that you're like obsessed with, Uh right? Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I can't like, if, if you get me on these topics, that's all we're going to talk about for the rest of this podcast. Well, okay. I love Scotland and I really <laughs> want to go to Iceland. Oh, you've never been. Okay. I've never been. <laughs> so when I went, I actually went for a writer's retreat, believe it or not. Um, really? There's something called the Iceland writer's retreat. And it was one of the coolest things that I've ever done. They gather these you know, super experienced authors, these novelists and short story writers, very prolific from all around the world, whether it's from Iceland, America, Canada, wherever. Um, They all come to Iceland. You go to Iceland with all these other, you know, aspiring writers or uh, published writers from all around the world. And you take classes like the, the authors are teaching classes. You could sign up for whichever one you want. Like I took a, a comedy writing class just because, you know, I suck at writing comedy unless it's banter and dialogue. <laughs> and that was, I forget who taught it. Gosh, it was a Canadian author, Terry something. And he was so great. It was such a great class. So you do that and then they, you have like all these different activities. Like you go on these tours of like, like we went to, God, what's his name? There's this very, super, super famous um, Icelandic author. I forget his name, but like we got to go to his house. And it was one of, it was, you know, in Iceland, they have those houses that are just kind of in the middle of nowhere with nothing around. It was one of those and it was beautiful. So, you, you know, you have these writing classes, you have these big dinners and galas and, um, you know, activities exploring Iceland. So it's a, it's a really great opportunity. And I encourage, like, you know, any aspiring writer who's listening to this to check it out. That's sure. awesome. Uh, is it like the sort of thing that you have to qualify for or like? No, it's, a, it's something you pay for, but there are scholarship opportunities for, uh, for anyone. There are no qualifying criteria for the scholarships. You just have to, they give you a theme and you have to write a flash fiction piece based on that theme. And that's how they pick the winner of the scholarships. Oh, that's cool. Did you get a scholarship? I did not. I was a runner up. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> it's my curse. <laughs> always the runner up man well how long uh, you're always number one on our show but also everyone's number one on our show <laughs> we love everybody's work everybody is number one on the between those and love graph everyone's fantastic I know I, every time we do like a um, flash fiction episode we're like that was our favorite story we read yeah. the next one that was our favorite story <laughs> and the voice actors my goodness like, yeah ever since we they started do such an incredible that, job yeah when once we started doing that it made it like so much better because it was like mm-hmm. it was fun to read them but I suck at reading out loud like Me too. <laughs> so, I'll do yeah. like a fake British accent that makes it slightly better but <laughs> wait do you have a good British accent I don't think so I've never run it by an English person 
but I don't think so. And I'm not going to do it. <laughs> That's fine. I, I always beg Tyler not to do his accent <laughs> and he doesn't listen to me. That sounds like Tyler. So. Yeah. Um, so what year was the um, Iceland retreat? Oh, uh, when did it go? I think it was 2017, no, 2018, I think it was that I went, but they do it every year. Um, they do it in April, which is a great time to go to Iceland, especially if you like um, winter. <laughs> not because it's it's not like particularly cold because you're kind of like halfway between winter and spring but everything's still like not green and mm. you still have the opportunity to see the aurora oh cool did you get to so, see that while you were there no I'm so upset I went to like all these spots to try to see it and I couldn't see it and then I was talking to some writers who flew over um from the east coast and they got to see it from the airplane <gasps> whoa I'm like how does that happen <laughs> well weather conditions play a big role in like whether or not you can see it oh, right yeah. so yeah. maybe if you're above the clouds it's more visible yeah there's definitely a bigger chance to see it when you're above the clouds and pretty much almost the entire time I was there it was pretty overcast which is you know, pretty standard for Iceland and part of why I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not great when you're trying to catch the aurora. Uh-uh. Well, you'll just have to go back then, I guess, so you can see it. That's your excuse. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you do that in 2017 or 2018. Um, yeah, how long had you been like writing at that point? So I had started writing. I'll keep it short. I started writing when I was 11. I was like kind of sick. So I couldn't really do much, but I had this computer that was like, like two feet away from my bed. So I just Wait, wrote stuff. You don't have to answer this, but like <laughs> what kind of sick, like a cold or like Stephen King as a child sick? <laughs> uh, I was in a car accident and I had like a, a, a nerve disorder. So it was like a chronic pain disorder, like in my legs. Oh, geez. So, so yeah, you were laid up for a long time. Yeah, so I'd have episodes of like, oh, I can't walk for three months. And then, oh, I'm totally fine for another three months. And then, oh, I can't walk again. Did that <laughs> go away eventually? <laughs> yeah, um, I had a bunch of surgeries that didn't do anything. And then I finally had a good surgery that, um, you know, because it was a neurological disease, not a physical one. So they finally went into like my back, like my spine instead of my knees. They were doing knee surgeries on you as like a kid? Yeah. Yeah. I had four. It was great. I can't (laughs) even imagine. But uh, essentially they put like the equivalent of like a a pacemaker for like your neurological system in my back. And like I went into the hospital in a wheelchair and I got up from the stretcher and walked around. Like, whoa. Um, So that that all like ended when I was 16 and because I was so young it sort of like reversed the condition and I got to have it removed and now I'm now I'm fine well that's good but that's crazy that it took like five years basically to sort that all out it was hell (laughs) yeah (laughs) like at a particularly bad time to be going through stuff like that like when you're just you know your formative years (laughs) <laughs> like you can't walk for half of them and yeah don't know what's going on serious 
but uh but anyway um you know i i wrote a lot during that period and because it was like one of the only things that i could do um but i'd stopped writing pretty much like after i got better because i didn't have to do it anymore i could do other things and then i sort of got back into it uh in 2016 i think when i wrote I decidedly, decidedly, randomly decided to write a short story, like a, a very, very short, short story, and that ended up getting picked up by a magazine after being on Reddit. Whoa, what was so, the story about? Uh, it was sort of a creative nonfiction. God, this is so depressing, but <laughs> my, uh, my brother passed away in 2009, and uh, the reason why I believe in like ghosts and the supernatural and stuff is because I had a strange experience after he died. Mm -hmm. uh, I was always the first one to come home, like from school because my dad worked, my mom worked, my sister, you know, went to college. Um, so I'd always be the first one home for like at least an hour and a half. And he lived in the basement. He had a, his bedroom was in the basement. So you have to go through this like really skinny hallway in order to get to the rest of the house, which is where the basement door is. And I had, I was really anal about like open doors and open cabinets. Like I really didn't like that. So I'd always like close them. And I got to this hallway and the basement door is wide fucking open, like completely open and it's pitch black. And I just sort of like looked down the stairs and there was like this black mass almost. I don't know what else to call it. And it rushed up the stairs and my hair blew back. That was like Whoa. my only proof that anything might've happened. And I just sort of, I slammed the door. I ran out of the house, sat on the front step and waited for my dad to come home. Oh. So I sort of write a, I wrote a fictionalized version of that. And uh, yeah, it got picked up by Aphotic Realm Magazine who I still write for occasionally. And uh, yeah, so now I've, I've been writing since then. That's crazy. So that was like the first thing you'd writ written in years? In years, yeah. Wow. And did they just like happen to see it on whatever Reddit thread you posted it in? No. So I, I posted it on Reddit, No Sleep. I don't know if you've heard of that subreddit. No, but it sounds like a place for scary shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Typically like it's like for fictional horror stuff, but you treat it you treat every post as if it was real. Um, so I posted on Reddit, I got a lot of good feedback. I ended up seeing this call for submissions for Aphotic Realm and I was like, eh, what the hell? And I submitted it, they loved it, they picked it up. I had to remove it from Reddit though. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. After that, was it kind of like, you know, oh, I want to keep keep doing this keep getting published like you get that writer's high seeing your name in print yeah kind of I mean it was it was surreal like really because I'd never been published before like that and it was and it was like a legit magazine like it was beautiful all the illustrations and for each story they they had like a graphic designer to make like a, a cover for your story and all that they had trailers for the upcoming like magazines it was crazy oh that's awesome so um yeah I kind of that motivated me to start writing more and god was I bad 
<laughs> but, but you know, all that became sort of practice to become better. And I think I'm at a decent place right now. And I know, um, you know, the more I write, the better I'm going to get. And now, how do you know you were bad back then? Because like, I've seen I, your stuff and it's amazing. Uh, I go back and I read it. You know, I mean, I think every, everyone has that sort of thing. Like, it's like going back and looking at your childhood drawings, like in, in crayon of you doing stick figures and cubist houses and <laughs> suns with smiley faces on them. It's kind of like that. Um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, going into your little cocoon and hatching and then you look back at the the dry shell sitting on the ground see I can tell just from the way you talk that you're a great writer because you have all those like details (laughs) like the cubist houses (laughs) I'm not even sure if that's the correct term in terms of art but you know what I mean (laughs) but it tells you exactly what it is and that was something that um I actually like I saw your bio or whatever on uh Oceana Hmm. And I was like, this is really well written. I'm like, I'm pretty sure Brianna wrote this. And then I looked at like some other people's and I'm like, yeah, she definitely wrote this because everyone else's bio sucks. <laughs> oh God. And yours is yeah, like, hilarious. we all have to write our own. <laughs> I suck at writing my own bios. I've had to do um, one a couple times for mm-hmm. work and it's always terrible. I'm like, I need somebody else to write this. I can't write about myself. Yeah. It's so weird you know, the different types of writing that you have to do as a writer, like, it's not just the writing of the story. It's like, you have to learn how to write your bio, you have to learn how to write the emails, you have to learn how to write query letters and synopses and all these different things that are not even remotely related to fiction writing. And a lot of people struggle with, even though they're really excellent writers. So it's, it's just, Annoying as hell, you know. So I think you struggled with it a little bit too, writing about yourself and like querying. Yeah, definitely. I think if any writer tells you that they didn't, they're dirty, dirty liars. Um, but I think I eventually got the hang of it. You know, I had a essentially a template for my query letter because that's really all you need. You just got to make sure you have the right. Uh, editor's name in there and the right publishing house in there or the right agent's name in there have you messed that up at all oh yeah I did that one time and I got reamed for it what and it it was for like this tiny like indie press too I'm like come on man I'm struggling (laughs) oh my I can't believe they like responded to chew you out because like so often you hear about you know the authors who send out 50 queries or whatever and don't hear back from any of them but you yeah they sent me they sent me a form rejection and then just like an extra three lines saying like oh you have to be more professional about these things blah 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 I'm like just just stab me in the heart and twist it while you're at it huh (laughs) was that um like when you realized that you'd sent it to the wrong place or whatever or yeah. did you okay I had no idea <laughs> oh my gosh that's horrible um I take it that's not uh you know who who you're working with now 
absolutely not <laughs> that would be funny if like later on you ended up working with them oh man I, gosh I hope not <laughs> or at least like that a different so staff scary. than uh, the one that saw you yeah at least the one who didn't write that email maybe they were just having a bad day I hope so <laughs> yeah I can't imagine like taking the because they sent you the form rejection which is like lazy but then right. took the time to add on the mean stuff <laughs> exactly it's like it's like a writer's worst nightmare but you kept going after that obviously I did and I have a kind of a I have a weird trajectory to where I got uh, so I'm with Bookends Literary Agency right now. Um, I'm represented by Amanda Jane. I love her so much. And originally, she was one of the first agents I queried, and she rejected me. And <laughs> she were you re- querying her for like a novel or something, or for a novel? Yeah. So okay. Typically, like with query letters, you know, you you have something, you finish it, you polish it, you edit it, and once you have that finished prod, that finished product you formulate your query letter around that project because you're trying to sell it to that agent. Not literally sell it, but, you know, like trying to get them interested in your work, interested in this book um, or, or whatever it is. I don't know. I, mine was a book. Um, so she rejects you the first time. So she rejected me the first time. She had a lot of good things to say, but ultimately she rejected me. And, you know, that that happened quite a few times. I got so many form rejections. I got so many uh, non-responses and it's really, it's really demoralizing. You know, you, you, you kind of lose hope because it's a, it's a thing that one, it takes forever, months and months and months and months. And two, you're getting constant rejections. So one day I got an email from this email address that I sort of recognized and I opened it and it's Amanda and I'm like what what's going on here (laughs) and she was like I know I rejected you the first time but I really love your characters and I couldn't get it out of my head and blah 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 she wrote this long like lovely email and honestly it was the happiest moment that I can remember like I was dancing around the house calling everybody that I knew and so yeah, there's like, there's so many non-traditional ways of getting into the traditional publishing industry, you know, like, I think that what happened to me is proof of that. That's so cool. How long was it between like your initial round of, of query letters and when Amanda sent you another email? So I think she took about, I want to say she took about two to three months to get back to me with the rejection and then another three to four to get back to me with maybe considering because it wasn't like hey I want to you know I totally rescind my rejection I want to sign you it was like I want to talk more we're gonna edit we're gonna revise and then we'll see what happens and I ended up getting signed thank goodness because that was a lot of work I had to cut like 50,000 words, I think, and that was super painful. <laughs> oh my god. How long was the the novel originally? Oh god. So, I started it in 2016 when I was doing all those short stories. So, when I was bad. <laughs> and so, it took a couple of years to write 
And when I was all set and done, it was 155,000 words, which, yeah, you just slap the hand over your heart. Exactly. So, but that was, that was the first draft. So I edited, I edited, I did so many edits and I got it down to um, a respectable 115,000 after, um, uh, going through edits with my my very very good editor Sam Thorne from Bowler Fern Editorial. Just gotta plug them; they're fantastic. Oh, how'd you uh, find them? Writers Group. Oh, really? <laughs> Believe it or not, yeah, probably the best editor I've ever had. Um, so yeah, we got it down to 115, and then after my talk with Amanda, she was like, "Get it down." to I think it was 85 and I was like oh my god and then I got it down to 95 and we compromised because I felt (laughs) like if I cut more I'm gonna cut into the soul of the story and that's just it's not worth it did she have specific um areas that she wanted you to cut like places that she thought were kind of dragging the story down or did she just say go cut 40,000 words or 30,000 so she, she didn't have like specific points where she, like specific spots in the story that she wanted to cut. She would give like examples of where the narrative would slow down the pacing. Cause my biggest fault as a writer is I'm extremely loquacious. <laughs> I tend to go on and on on the same point, like go off, go off on uh, poetic tangents and sort of like bog down the story without getting to the action. That surprises me so much, but just because like, I've really only been exposed to your flash fiction. So it's impossible to do that. Yeah, yeah. if you read something longer, you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) So just like areas like that, it's all about, for me, it was all about speeding up the pacing. So she would give me like a couple examples of like where I could improve that. And then from there, it was sort of like up to me to, um to figure it out I guess you know to do my job are you happier with the final product then at 95 ish thousand words oh yeah I at this point I feel like I can still you know because I finished uh, how long have we been going at publishers it's been months and months since we've been um sending to publishers because this industry takes forever um and from my writing, like since that point, since we started sending to publishers, I feel like I've improved more. So now I know more about, you know, pacing and stuff like that. So I feel like I could go back and cut more and actually maybe meet that 85,000. But uh, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I like the self-awareness. <laughs> So um, how much are you allowed to say about the story itself, like genre, um, setting, any of that, those details? Yeah, so I I could talk about it a little bit. Um, So the genre, (laughs) I guess we'd categorize it as psychological horror um, with an LGBTQ um, romance subplot. I think that's how we phrased it. Um, so it's called The Quaking Aspen, and it's essentially about this father who lost his daughter, and he's sort of 
he's an alcoholic and he doesn't really know what to do with you know his life like most alcoholics who have lost a child naturally um and he ends up becoming a voluntary um fire lookout at a fire watch tower in pando pando mm. forest which is a real place uh in utah one of the most interesting natural places in the world i think it's a um it's a aspen tree colony. I don't know if people know, but aspen trees, they're actually a single organism. Tyler's going to be so jealous that I talk I, about this with you, actually, because yeah. you know his aspen <laughs> connection, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, so just for the listeners, uh, one of Tyler's, like, longest running story, like, epic series that he's been working on has a pando connection uh, I'm not going to give it away because I'll just like butcher all of the the like yeah, sequencing I've heard like he- a little I've heard him talk about it a little bit I don't know what it's about but I just found out that you know he knew about pando the other day when we were talking and I'm like I like slapped the desk I'm like you know about pando too you know about Pando? Like, talks about Pando. <laughs> so, yeah. So, getting back to the story itself. So, he goes to Pando. Right. So, um, he's in a fire lookout tower, which just, you know, full disclosure, I took creative license. You know, there are no fire lookout towers in Pando Forest, which is a part of the greater Fish Lake National Forest, I believe, in Utah, in a south- southern, south central Utah, something like that. Um so he's there for fire season, essentially just looking out a window. And um, there's a second fire tower, technically his supervisor, uh, and they communicate via walkie-talkie, via like a satellite radio, essentially. And, you know, they don't, they never see each other or anything like that, but they sort of form this like emotional bond, you know, via radio. But as this all is happening, the forest is fucking with him. <laughs> if that makes sense, like it's it's pulling all sorts of tricks. It's uh, it's making him forget things. It's making him sleepwalk. He's going through all this psychological torment, and he's reliving all the grief of losing his daughter. So we're slowly sort of going into that story, but through the lens of Pando or through the lens of Mitch himself, because he can't tell if it's the forest or if it's just him losing his mind. And that was giving me my question. You said it's a psychological horror, like Mm -hmm. not a paranormal horror. I can't give it away, but. (laughs) True. I I wouldn't want you to actually. (laughs) So yeah, there's the potential that it could be one or the other or both or who knows. That's awesome. So are you guys still in the like approaching publishers phase or have you found one? Like, is this a story that we could be seeing in book form soon? Hopefully soon. Um, So we're still in the first round of pitching, if you can believe it. I think this is what the seventh or eighth month and we're still in the first round. Um, So what does that mean? So the agent will have a sort of stable of publishers or editors at publishing houses that they think will like your story and that will want to buy it. So they'll send out a pitch, which is essentially like sort of your query letter, but 
like sort of uh, modified into a sales pitch. They'll send that out to their stable of editors and wait for their responses. And sometimes you get like people who just don't want it. Sometimes you get people who are interested but only want the first couple pages. Then you get people who are really excited about it and just want the whole manuscript to read, you know, all at once. So we had, I think, 10 in our initial uh, pitch, our, our first round rather. And, uh, oh God, it's so hard to keep track of everything that's going on. I just, I kind of leave that up to my agent really. <laughs> so I can just like kind of put it on the back burner and just keep writing because I don't want to think about it because we are getting rejections. Um, like you're getting a mix of good feedback and critique, but you're also getting rejections and you're waiting for that one, you know, that person that wants, that wants it, you know? And then mm. once you get that person who wants it, you let all the other people know, and then you start a bidding war. <laughs> so hopefully that's what happens. But, you know, it, it's really, it really is a waiting game. And then if you don't hear back from, if either you don't hear back from those editors within a certain time frame, or if you get all rejections, then you go on to a second round. So another, a secondary stable of editors, and you just keep doing more and more rounds until you finally get a hit, or if you just don't get a hit and you move on. Oh, that's a sad, like, prospect. <laughs> yeah, but, you know. But you guys are in the first round, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm still confident, you know, it's just, it's annoying because it, it's just, it takes so long. Like, and you always hear that, but like, I think it's hard to fathom until you actually experience it. Yeah. I always thought like, yeah, it'll be fine. I'll hear from someone in like four months. And then it's like, you're like grizzled with a beard shaking on the side of the road and you still <laughs> haven't heard back. <laughs> but you're still writing. Um while you're waiting and like do you have like another novel finished yet or are you back to short fiction um doing both I did finish a second novel an unrelated novel that's with uh, Amanda right now um that she's reading um and then I started working on a third that's sort of like a spiritual successor to the Quaking Aspen which has been a lot of fun but I sort of put that on hiatus for now to work on some other random projects because I keep getting these ideas I keep getting lodged in my head and they're like write me write me write me so I put that on hiatus on the back burner and now I'm just sort of entertaining myself with the shiny new ideas yeah I think uh you, you've earned that right you've got two novels done and I feel like that's the hardest part because I am also subject to um, I, I have honestly not done much creative writing late, lately, but I did all the time when I was in high school and stuff. And I would always like write the beginning and the end of my novel. And then I was like, oh, I know how everything ends now. So I don't have to fill in the rest. I'm going to move on. Middle. <laughs> yeah. The middle is the worst. As a consequence, I have like no, so I, I think I have like two technically finished novels where it's like, somebody could read this and it makes sense and all of the scenes are there in the appropriate yeah. order but like they're not good or edited or anything but I have like at least 30 or 40 starts and ends wow yeah. I mean so do I probably 
but yeah, I mean, having those two first drafts done is a huge accomplishment, though. Like, definitely don't, you know, downplay that. That's awesome. No, one of them was uh, NaNoWriMo, and that really helped. <laughs> yeah, have you ever done that? Yeah, I'm doing camp right now. Oh, that's right, so yeah. I yeah, I only, I only, I set my word counts pretty low because I'm a very slow writer. Um, so I, instead of like 50,000, I'll set it down to like 30,000. So what is camp for? I actually haven't done that, but I've seen a lot of authors talking about it. Camp is weird. It's like, it's essentially like do whatever you want. And there's a lot less like structure and resources that they give you. Um, and it used to be that you'd go into cabins with other writers, like these virtual cabins based on your interests, like you go into the forums and, you know, people will post like, oh, I'm, I'm this old, uh, I'm from here, I write this genre. And people would form like little groups and you'd be able to talk in these like little virtual rooms and share your stuff and blah, blah, blah. Then they got rid of cabins for whatever reason, which was the point of camp. Yeah, that's like where camp comes from, <laughs> I take it. Yeah. But now, you know, people have sort of taken it upon themselves to, like, recruit people and form, like, discords. Like, on on Discord, they'll form, like, these groups, which is, uh, I'm part of one called the Midnight Society. Plug in them. (laughs) They're they're a horror group, naturally. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, it's it's basically do whatever you want. It's it's less about getting to that 50,000 words than setting your own goal and trying to achieve it. Okay. Do you, um, so is that for one of the like smaller projects or are you using that to try to like get your third novel going? Oh, no, I've, I've, um, you know, as far as the third novel goes, I haven't touched it in a while. I think I'm just letting it marinate for a bit. And my mom's very upset about that because this is the first one I've actually let her read. <laughs> Wait, the third one is the first one you've actually let her read? She yeah. Read the one that's like actually <laughs> almost a book form. No, she's so upset about that. Why haven't you let her read it? I don't know. <laughs> Brianna. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, again, it goes back to that childhood drawing imposter syndrome thing. Like, even though I know it's, it's good enough to be, you know, being shopped around to publishers, but at the same time, like, it's my first book. I don't want you to read it until it's like, bound in hardcover and Barnes and Noble you know I need that I need to go to the store to buy it (laughs) I need the validation before I can give it to someone else to read I guess but Mm. right now with the third book I'm more confident in my abilities so I I let her read it (laughs) did you have like beta readers though for the first one before you sent it to your agent no (laughs) really so you did it all on your own plus your editor yeah I'm I'm terrified of beta beta readers (laughs) I'm terrified of critiquing I'm terrified of beta readers I'm also just like like where do you find beta readers and and who are they are they your friends are they random people how do you know if they're going to steal your work what if they're just what if they don't finish it what if they just tear into it and they make you feel horrible it's like I want a professional (laughs) I will pay money for a professional I did have one like critique partner or whatever back in the day. It was probably like 
mm-hmm. I don't know, like six or more years ago at this point. Um, but I actually met her on in like the Facebook comments or, or the blog comments um, for mm-hmm. Maggie Steve Vodder. I don't know if you know. That oh, author. yeah. Scorpio Races. <laughs> yeah. So Scorpio Races is like one of my all time favorite books. Um, I will never change my opinion on that. And I, mean, I love he, Maggie Steve Vodder. You can't uh, get much better than carnivorous horses. Come right, on. <laughs> right. And at, this is such a tangent, but like at some point it was optioned for a movie and I have no idea where that went. It I makes think it like died. Movie. I know it was really annoying though because like at the same time they were kind of like the PR release or whatever uh-huh. um, that why did I say PR release the press release that's literally what it means. I'm in DC mode where we only use acronyms so I knew exactly what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> the press release that went out with it was like trying to draw some sort of like oh this is the new Hunger Games comparison because Hunger Games was big at the time yeah. and, like they're totally different stories like why does everything have to be compared to harry potter or the hunger games or like whatever uh, other ya series everyone was trying to jump on that ya bandwagon you know turning the books into movies when and then like divergent failed and i think that's that was the nail in the coffin for that industry why do we have to have divergent instead of scorpio races right (sighs) anyway so maggie (laughs) stevotter a couple times um had like in her blog um like critique partner um like I guess introductions or whatever so like Mm -hmm. if you were looking for someone to critique your work you could post in the comments like kind of a summary about what it was Mm -hmm. um and then if somebody wanted to be your critique partner they could like message you cool yeah because she has like a really solid group of critique partners um and they have a name for like their little group and they did like a short story collection together. And I can't remember what the name was, but it was like mm-hmm. her and Brenna Yavanov or something. Who's another like pretty popular one and Tess something. I haven't read as much of their work um, mm-hmm. as Maggie's, but yeah, they like their critique partners kind of partnership. That's is awesome. kind of famous. How did you find your way into that? Um, just like, I literally saw the blog post and was like okay well I guess I should do this and commented on there um and then I think my partner's name was Megan she liked it so we started mm-hmm. sending each other chapters back and forth hers is like a uh post-apocalyptic dystopian thing which was like very nice. on brand for the oh yeah early 2010s <laughs> or whatever year that was um, sure. and then mine was like some sort of angsty teen novel <laughs> Like contemporary reality, like set yes. based in reality, realistic fiction. It Some was John like a dream stuff. Yeah, it was like a teenager with like a drug addict mom, and like she uh-huh. just wanted to get away from it all. Hey, those books do well, man. Yeah, except I like from my solid middle class, like stable household, probably have <laughs> no idea. So, like I looking can't. back, I'm like, this is probably like a total worthless book, but it was no, good practice. I would never say that. <laughs> everything has value everything you write has value but yeah so that was like my only critique partner experience um I did send Tyler some chapters of a murder Mm -hmm. mystery that I wrote um a year or two ago uh and he's very mad because I never sent him the end because I got to the end and I was like I hate this book I'm not sending you what you can't do that Hannah he's so mad he's like I'm never gonna know who the murderer is (laughs) you can't just do that that's like playing a game of clue and then just (laughs) dipping out of the party 
before he finished playing. In my defense, I don't, if I ever go back to it, I'm changing the murderer because it was too predictable for me. And I'm like, this is dumb. See, this is the improvement in the childhood drawing. Yeah. You can go back and do that. You need to do that. Oh, my God. <laughs> no you and no Tyler pressure. are going to be, like, ganging up on me about this. Now that I know about this, be prepared. <laughs> See, okay, so maybe you shouldn't uh, do the critique partner thing because there's a lot of pressure that comes with it. Well, I did actually do the critique partner thing, and I'm starting to get a little bit more into, like, critique clubbing, I guess. That sounds like... <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, that was an accident but, like NaNoWriMo um, has camp we have critique clubbing yeah, but <laughs> it's like actually wear, a- uh, <laughs> belly bearing shirts and like get our noses <laughs> pierced exactly it's all part of the process um, but uh, it's actually part of the, the discord server that I'm on they just started a critique club where like you could earn a certain amount of points for like critiquing someone else's work and then you use those points to post your work to be critiqued so I started doing that I think I did two submissions and it's actually been super helpful um it's obviously very nerve-wracking um but I've found it to be extremely helpful and then I have a, a friend who I of course met in a writer's group um who I do sort of like, again, like you said, like a back and forth chapter exchange, Mm -hmm. like in Google Docs. And we'll do that, like, we'll try to do it weekly. But you know, life gets in the way sometimes. But yeah, I mean, the crazy thing is you're doing all of this writing while also having a full time job, right? Yeah, that too. (laughs) But the the writing is fun most of the time. Most of the time. Most. That's a pretty big caveat. (laughs) I mean, sometimes you reach these, like with horror, I think it's, um, it's a great avenue for catharsis, you know, writing about these sort of awful things that either you've experienced or you've felt and sort of funneling them into a fictional situation or a fictional character. Not to the point where it's a self-insert, but to a point where you can sort of process those emotions and those traumas that you went through. It's the second form of therapy and therapy, it hurts sometimes, you know, you, you cry and your therapist passes you the box of tissues. So sometimes it isn't fun. But then other times you get into you get into banter with between you, you know two of your characters and they they hit it off and it's funny and it's fun. So you know you have those two those two sides to writing, I guess, and then all the space in between. Is that kind of what it's like for you when you're writing? Like you feel the emotion of the scene that you're in. Um. Sometimes, not like expressly, but sometimes I'll feel it like afterward, if that makes sense, like Hmm. sort of like an aftershock, but it's not like, like I, I've heard people like certain writers, like making themselves cry with their writing. And I, I, I don't understand that. Um, I mean, all the power to you. That's awesome that you can make yourself cry with your writing. That's, that's really, really cool. But I've never been able to do that. I'm sort of a bit of an apathetic person when it comes to that. So I feel things sort of like in very deeply internally, if that makes sense. 
So like maybe you're kind of physically and emotionally exhausted after writing something that kind of dug into past feelings. Exactly. I'm exhausted. That makes a lot of sense. I'm kind of the same way with, um, with reading. I'm a little bit apathetic. Like it -hmm. takes a lot for a book to make me cry. Movies and TV are totally different. Like they can make me cry at the drop of a hat. Nobody knows though, because if if I'm watching a TV show or a movie with someone else, I will hold it in. I will do my damnedest to hold it in. And I have a great track record. If I'm alone, I'm babbling like a baby. Oh. <laughs> I'm revealing all my secrets here. <laughs> I am not as good at holding it in as you probably. Um, but I can do like the silent cry if I need to. And just like, mm-hmm. you know, pretend I'm adjusting my hair or something. <laughs> Got something in my eye. <laughs> yeah. But if I'm alone, like watching a Nicholas Sparks movie or something stupid like that, like oh, I will sob and it feels so good. <laughs> yeah like, it's, a mess. it's fantastic I love it but I hate it but I love it like if it happens in front of someone I think the, the only time I cried as an adult in front of someone for a tv show or a movie was the final episode of the office in front of my ex-boyfriend and he <laughs> looked at me and he saw it and he did not let me live it down oh so but- since then I've been like it's not happening again <laughs> That's so mean. You can't do that to someone when they finally cry. Right? right? I got to I have a reputation to uphold. <laughs> That's a yeah, you totally have like the contradictory like tough girl but like kind of a sap <laughs> and also afraid of everything thing like oh, yeah. walking ball of contradictions. Yeah, I I have this I have a facade and a reputation, but that behind that, I'm very squishy. I'm like a, I'm like a Tootsie Pop. <laughs> but you're also like very open about that, which is funny too. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, I don't mind outing myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been going at it for uh, a little while, but um, I wanted to ask you about your art because that's like the other thing that I see you post about all the time. Like you do these amazing oh, yeah. like computerized drawings, right? like yeah. what's the name for that um digital art so I use I use photoshop okay so you like draw on like a tablet or something right yeah and I didn't always do that I actually just recently got my uh, pen display tablet where it like has a screen and you can see what you're doing on the screen mm-hmm. but I used to do like pencil drawings on a piece of paper scan the piece of paper into my computer and then put that into Photoshop and try to, you know, make that look decent. So I finally have a piece of actual art tech that <laughs> allows me to do something a little bit better. That's awesome. Uh, how would you describe like your style? Uh, amateurish learning. No, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my style. Because you mostly draw like humans right or like yes I I don't do landscapes I don't do like buildings architecture is probably what I'm worst at because I have I have very shaky hands and I don't have a good sense of spatial awareness Mm. so like landscapes and perspective you know you need a good sense of perspective and spatial awareness if you're gonna draw like a city or even just a road you Mm. know so I draw people, I draw original characters, you know, like from my stories, 
um, from my books and stuff like that, because I'm a very visual person. So it helps me um, inspire myself, I guess. Is that what prompted you to start drawing? Like was trying to visualize characters? No, I've been drawing a lot longer than I've been writing. Um, like if you go to my parents' house, there's an entire uh, giant drawer and a giant armoire that's just full of sketchbooks since like I was a little girl um, oh, so going cool. into my late teens. Uh, and I stopped for a while, but uh, I picked it back up actually about the same time I picked writing back up a little bit like around 2016. So I think there was definitely an influence there. Wow. Yeah. So you just kind of like got hit with all of those old passions and yeah. creative outlets. Yeah, it was nice. I um, like to draw and like um, do watercolor and ink too, but it's, I've tried to do it with characters before and I'm the kind of person who really has to see something to draw it. Mm -hmm. So all I ended up doing was like looking up actors or models or something and trying to find someone who looked sort of like the character I was envisioning. But um, that's that's totally fine. I do the same thing. Really? Even for yours? Because they look so unique. I mean, like for, never let anyone tell you that using reference is cheating. That's literally what my mom would tell me all the time as a kid. So thank you. But it's true. You know, it's a fantastic way. Even if you're tracing, you're learning when you're doing that. You're learning what, um, what shapes go into a face, you know, the musculature that goes into an arm or how hands look. My worst thing was hands. I fucking hate hands, man. They turned out so awkward. <laughs> They're like the yeah. wrong size and like lumpy sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's the fingers. Like, oh my goodness. Now, for me now, like I've, I've improved with the hands now. Now my worst thing is feet. <laughs> <laughs> Just to have all your characters wearing shoes. Yeah. But yeah, like using reference for, for anything, whether it's faces or clothes. You know, like how skirts fall in a certain position. It's, it is not cheating. It is, it's learning. It's practicing. Does, I mean, so there was one picture that you posted on Facebook actually today, which was like the heart conclusion. <laughs> some, some characters, which yeah, I and at least one other person were very upset in the comments. Um, sorry. <laughs> but like, are all of the, the, pictures that you post on social media are those all characters or do you just kind of do some for fun and and if it's the latter like do you think of a backstory in your brain for those scenes so they're all I want to say they all start off in writing before I draw them there was only that I can think of there's only one character that started off as Uh, a piece of artwork before she was uh, in a story. Oh, interesting. Um, But yeah, otherwise it's, you know, I'm I'm writing something and I like the character. I want to see what they look like, figure that out, put it on paper. And then I either draw scenes from, I actually very rarely draw scenes like from the actual book because scenes are complicated and again requires spatial awareness which I don't have well tr- I, I guess I mean scenes in terms of like the action because the one that you like posted today was very clearly like there's shit happening in this yeah. photo that, or that this was drawing. like it was a scene but it was like a censored simplified scene if that yeah <laughs> so. 
yeah it's a scene in that it like has plot and emotion and like yeah and like it, it does happen in the story and it's not a spoiler either we know that she's dead <laughs> I know listeners will have no idea what I'm talking about but <laughs> yeah, we so know the, at the beginning this non-spoiler scene is like I am assuming lovers yeah. uh and and one is holding the the woman as she's like dying basically yeah her dead body it's very sad because we saw a picture of them happy earlier and then brianna just crushed our hearts and and murdered our favorite character who we don't even know anything about didn't do that on purpose at all (laughs) you're you're mean just flat out (laughs) i do the same thing though i'm like i really want to make someone sad with my writing It's great to evoke emotion from people, whether it's from writing or art or whatever it is. I mean, that's that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? It is, especially for me. I mean, Tyler, I think, has some like differing opinions because we'll talk about stuff and I'm like, I liked this book because it made me feel bad about humanity and like really <laughs> sad. And he's like, I like this because it was like a, you know, a good story with like nice characters or, you know, I'm, I'm misquoting him on that, but he like, he yeah, likes I know different aspects of the stories mm-hmm. and I'm just like I want to feel awful when I'm done reading yeah. this I want to feel like I have an abyss in my chest and maybe there's something about that that's like with the tough girl image it's like you know you spend so much time like keeping your composure and you want something that's just like gonna shatter you for I want to be broken down into a million pieces like make me a teacup and drop me on a marble floor please <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then step on me just to add that final like crushing blow exactly you know what I mean yeah I mean I'm glad that there's someone else because sometimes I'll say that to people that like I want to read something that's going to make me feel sick and they're like what is wrong with you they'll give you the two head look yeah yeah like I swear like this has got to be a normal emotion it is or desire from art definitely is Well, Brianna, we've been talking for for quite a while now. Is there anything else that like you wanted to mention? You've got so many different facets kind of uh, wound up in, in the person that is Brianna Fenty. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess this is a part of the the show that I really don't do well with. Um, <laughs> like some like parting nuggets and pearls of wisdom that I don't have. But, you're an agented author now you're supposed to be able to drop these pearls of wisdom but I can't I guess I don't know man I guess I just like you were talking about before like you had two novels that you'd written and that you know you didn't really want to go back to them but you know that's it's such a huge accomplishment to write something and especially to finish something, even though you you might hate it right Mm -hmm. now, it might look like that childhood drawing, but the thing about childhood drawings is you're not a kid anymore. You can go back and redraw it and you can make it look fantastic. And maybe that drawing is going to get you, it's going to get you places, you know? So just, I guess just, it sounds so corny, but you cannot give up. You're not allowed to give up. You got to be like, I think I'm stealing from what's his name, Chuck Wendig. But he said this 
this fantastic quote, and I'm not quoting verbatim because I have the worst, the absolute worst memory, but he said, you have to be like one of those carnival clowns, you know, the ones that you punch and they come back up and smack you in the face. <laughs> you have to be that person that punches the clown, gets smacked in the face and punch it again and keep going. That's amazing. So that is my piece of my little nugget of uh, copper, I guess. <laughs> no, that was a nugget of silver, at least. <laughs> Thank you. It's charitable. And, you know, it, it feels even more real because you're very down to earth and like you've achieved kind of one of the prelim- preliminary dreams of all aspiring writers. It's like you you sent the query, you got the agent, you, you got the validation that someone out there whose opinion matters, quote unquote, likes your work. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's rough. It, it, the industry is really rough. And I have so much respect for people who do not go this route because it is so much harder in so many ways. You the know, indie publishers who, you yeah, mean? Or like yeah, self-published? Exactly. Yeah, indie, self-published. I mean, having to do all of that yourself, the marketing, the writing, the editing, it's incredible what these people do. And we're all writers and we're all authors at the end of the day, no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for for those types as well, especially from the marketing angle. Cause like, Mm -hmm. I think authors, especially like so many authors are introverts and like, you know, deeply self-conscious about their work. And it's, it's hard to put yourself out there and do your own promotions. Mm-hmm. for sure yeah so I'm I'm super happy for you I hope that uh, publishing house picks up your novel soon because I really really want to freaking read this and I'm sure your mom really wants to freaking read it finally <laughs> she's been waiting half a decade <laughs> just a little bit yeah I, I hope so too and thank you so much for having me on the show this has been you've really assuaged my nerves and I don't even know if I said that right that's another one you know, I actually don't know how to pronounce that either. Is it a swash? <laughs> a swash? Sounds we're going, great. Listen, we're going back to the beginning. We're tying Aswaged. it up. Aswaged. I think that might be it. I don't know. I'm going to have to look it up on YouTube later and be like, how do you pronounce this? YouTube has been amazing for my word pronunciation. Yeah, yeah same. Google is the worst, but YouTube is good. YouTube is good. Yeah, you have a real person who theoretically knows what they're talking about. <laughs> theoretically, yeah. Yeah, you've been a fantastic host. Thank you so much. No, thank you. It has been great to actually get to like talk to you in person. If there's anything I can tell you, it's that the best place to hide is in your mind.